Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 4, um, we're going to start right at the end of chapter 4 just to kind of catch up to the story before we get into chapter 5. Now, we've been in this series called Prayers for, the Ex- for, Prayers for Exodus. Um, and this is a 10-week series through the book of Exodus where we're looking at 10 prayers uh, for ourselves, for our church. And each of these prayers starts with something about God's character. And the goal is that we would learn something about God that would make us pray more fervently and more confidently. And the kind of the thought that we've been carrying the last two weeks is that what we know of someone will affect what we ask of them. And so we want to know something of God's character. We want to know something of who he is as revealed in his word. And we want that to drive us to, to pray more confidently and more fervently. And so far, we've said two things. We've said that uh, we we're praying that we would trust God's heart, believing that he knows our pain, hears our prayers, and never forgets his promises. So the first thing we've been praying for us as a church and we've been learning from God's word is is that we can trust his heart. The the second thing that we've been learning and that we want to pray for Exodus and ourselves into the future is that we would hope in God's power, that we would be a people who are convinced deep in the places of who we are that God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so that we would be a people that hope in God's power. Today, the the prayer focus is this, that we would know God's name, that we would be a people who are grounded in God's character and covenant promises toward those who hope in him. Now, uh, none of us are going to go out of here and forget that he's God. Okay, we're we're not going to forget that we can call him God. We're not going to forget that uh, probably Jesus's name. We're not going to forget the word so what that means is, is a little, little more than just knowing a word that's connected to an idea. When we say that we want to know God's name, in the Bible, the names of God are connected to his character. And so when we say that we want to be a people who know his name, what we mean is we want to be a people who know his character, who deep in the parts of who we are that we know and are convinced of his character and that he'll fulfill all of his promises that he's made to his people. And so that's kind of our prayer focus today. And so that we can get, so we can get caught up in the story. Um, we've talked about how God has heard the prayers of his people. He's, he's got a plan to deliver them from Egypt. Last week we looked at how God has called Moses to be the deliverer. And Moses sets out in obedience to God. And in chapter 4, verse 27, we read that the Lord said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Can you imagine that meeting? Aaron hasn't seen his brother in, in a long, long time. And then they see one another and Moses brings this message. God's going to deliver his people and look at all and listen to all the things that he did. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Can you imagine that moment? God's people hearing 
all that God has promised. Now, God promised several things in chapter 3. He promised that He would deliver the people. He also promised it was going to take a while. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Um, I want you to think about the last time somebody told you good news that also had some hard news in it. Okay? Uh, Somebody told you good news, something you were excited about, that also had some hard news. So kids, your mom or your dad says, hey, we're going to get ice cream tonight. You just have to clean your room first. What do you hear? You hear ice cream. And that's all you're going to hear for the, until you get your ice cream. You didn't hear, we're going to get ice cream and you've got to clean your room. You didn't hear the clean your room part. You, we see that in the genius of eBay. I mean, eBay, you win things. No, you don't win anything. You win the right to pay for it, Right? Um, or on prices, right? I had a friend that was on prices, right? Several years ago and she won, um, she won the showcase. She won, uh, money on the big wheel and she got to the end and she was leaving thinking she had all this stuff. And she realized they told her, you've got to pay this amount of money to take all this with you. I wonder if something similar is happening to the people of God here. Moses and Aaron come to them and say, we're God's going to deliver us. Now, it's going to take a while, and Pharaoh's going to say no first, and it's not going to go well at first, but, but God's going to deliver us. And maybe they hear, God's going to deliver us, and they miss the fine print of it's going to be hard. And what happens to us when life gets hard is that we tend to forget the things we so need to remember. In our story today, Moses is going to experience some really hard times. Life's not going to go according to plan for him. Things are going to get hard before they get better. And Moses, at the moment where he needs, desperately needs to remember God's name, he forgets. And again, it's not a big deal that he forgets that God's called Yahweh. It's a big deal that that Moses is forgetting something central about God's character. And you and I are prone to that all the time. Life doesn't go according to our plan. Things get hard. Things happen that we're not expecting. And we forget. And so our prayer is that we would know God's name that we would know God's character and that he keeps his promises deep in the real parts of who we are so that when things get hard, not if they get hard, but when they get hard, we won't forget. And so I want to pray, and then we're going to jump back into the story. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we're really grateful for your goodness to us, and we know that um, life is very hard. Um, And that there are people in this room who are experiencing that in a very real way right now. Things are hard. Things are not the way they thought they would be. Things are not playing out according to the script that they thought they would have. There are people in this room um, who just really need to know your goodness and your character today. Some are facing challenging things in their calling or in their job or in their families, some are facing just really dark places in their own hearts and minds. And so, God, we need to know you. We need to know your name. We need to know your character. We need to know that you keep your promises. 
And so as we read about Moses and his experience with you, and as we read about the people of Israel and their experience with you, would you show us ourselves and would you help us to see how we need to remember who you are and what you've done, how we need to remember your name and your character, how we need to remember that you are a God that keeps his promises. And would you cause us to leave here a people who are confident in you, trusting in you, hoping in you today. And for those whose hearts have grown cold, Lord God, would you fan the flame? Holy Spirit, would you, would you fan the flame? of our hearts to make them burn brightly again so that we might hope in you and follow you and trust in you. We pray all this hoping in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, very quickly, Moses finds out that things are not going to go to plan. Now, again, think about Moses. Moses has had this experience with God. He comes to the people. The people are worshiping and you can almost hear in his mind, Moses, Moses, Moses. And then he goes to Pharaoh. And things do not go to plan quickly. Look at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. You can almost see their confidence, even in what they're saying right there. But Pharaoh is not going to fold so quickly. Look at verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, and I love this, but the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please, please let us go. You know, it goes from let my people go to please. I mean, is that the magic word that I'm supposed to say here? Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now, God never promised he would do that. Just let that sit there for a moment. So Pharaoh responds, just this religious nonsense is distracting you from your work. That's not going to happen. Look at verse four. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. And so Moses comes and says, Pharaoh, God wants his people back. And Pharaoh starts what for the chapters 5 through 14 become a showdown between Pharaoh and Yahweh. And Pharaoh is saying to God, these people belong to me. And so Pharaoh makes things really hard. And what Pharaoh is saying is, this is my kingdom. These are my resources, and I get to decide what I do with my stuff. Now, Nathan already mentioned the prayer guide, and if you don't have one of these, they're available. They're out in this white cabinet. They're free. We want you to have one. Uh, I think it'll be a real encouragement to you as we go through this series. But one of the things I loved about all the prayers, I love hearing the people's voices who wrote them. Because as I'm reading them, I can hear the people's voices in my head. Now, that's not me hearing voices. That's me hearing the voices of my friends who wrote these things. And as I'm reading Lenora's this week, I was so blessed by her honesty and, and her uh, just identifying this idea and how often we are like Pharaoh. How often do we say to God, these are my resources. This is my time. This is my money. This is my life. These are my goals. 
and, and we set ourselves up against God as if God is an invading king into our kingdom. That's what Pharaoh is doing here. But Pharaoh's not going to roll over. Look at verse 6. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh is saying, God wants this people, they're mine. And God wants to take them out of my kingdom. I'm going to spread them all over my own kingdom to do my work for me. Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters in the form of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Again, Pharaoh was setting himself up in a battle against God. He's saying, these are my people, my resources. You don't get to take them away. You don't get to tell me what to do with them. And so the people go to Pharaoh to beg. Look at verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Notice how they define themselves. They're not the people of God. They're the servants of Pharaoh. No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he, that's Pharaoh, said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So the people go to Pharaoh to beg. Pharaoh says, no, it's not going to be any different. You're idle. You're lazy. That's why you want to go and serve some other God. You will serve me. And then the people leave and they revolt against Moses. Look at verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. You can almost see Moses and Aaron's. Hey, what did he say? What did he say? And they said to him, Yahweh, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And in less than one chapter, we've gone from people bowing and worshiping and being excited about the arrival of Moses, their deliverer, to being angry and frustrated and not trusting him. Now, if you've ever led anything you know part of the weight that Moses is experiencing right now. There's a weight of compassion for these people who are enduring something that he is not, and it's his fault. Moses is not getting beaten in the fields. Moses is not having to make bricks. These other people are, and it's harder now, and it's Moses' fault. There's the weight of people turning their backs on him and not trusting him as they once did. 
Last part of chapter four, Moses, Moses. Now, who are you and where did you come from and why did you make things harder? Then there's the weight of something he's feeling. He's just feeling responsible for this thing and it's not going well. God had called him to be the leader, to deliver the people, and it's not working. Now, this is a huge test for Moses right now. How will Moses respond to this challenging moment when life is not going according to the plan he thought it was going to go to, when, when he's faced with, do I trust God and his promises, or do I become the man I was at the burning bush? And that's really the question for us when things are not going according to plan. Will we trust God and his promises or will we forget? Well, Moses forgets. Look at verse 22. Then Moses turned to Yahweh, the Lord. Now, if you notice, the Lord is all caps there and said, oh, Lord, you notice that's not all caps. That's a different word for God. Okay, he's still talking to God. He's just using a different name. That's not the name God gave him to refer to him by. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. And so Moses forgets. He forgets God's name. Which is connected to God's character. He even forgets God's character. Look there in verse 22. Why have you done evil to this people? God has done no evil to this people. God doesn't do evil to his people. But Moses has forgotten God's name. He's forgotten God's character. He's forgotten his promise. Look at verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Part of God's promise was this. Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to say no. I'm going to stretch out my hand and you're going to leave Egypt. That was God's promise. It wasn't, you're going to say, let us go. He's going to say, sure, and you're going to leave. That's not the promise. But Moses forgets the promise. He forgets God's name. He forgets God's character. And he forgets what God has promised to to the people. Now, what has happened to the people and to Moses where they would go from bowing in worship to questioning God? What has happened? Well, I think there's a few things going on. I think first, there's a theological problem. I mean, Moses has forgotten who God is and what he's promised. So there's a theological problem going on here. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But I think also that that the people of Israel and Moses have a perception problem about God's deliverance. I think they heard the good part and missed the hard part. I think they heard the good part and missed the hard part. And if we hear good news and neglect hard news, what happens is we start to believe false stories. We start to believe things that are just good and neglect the hard. And there's false stories out there masquerading as Christianity everywhere. Here's one of them. 
One false story is a Christianity without problems. And the false story is this. If you will simply trust Jesus, all of your problems will be gone. You'll have no problems. You'll have an easy, happy life. Well, the problem with that false story is the Bible. It's, it's not consistent with what God has promised in His Word. In fact, God said in His Word, you will have trouble in this world. And so this happy, clappy Jesus pep rally, where if we trust Jesus, everything's going to be fine and good, is not consistent with God's Word at all. But when we hear good parts and neglect hard parts, we believe a false story. I think another false story is this. If we do it right, we will get the life we want. If we do it right, we'll get the life we want. In Luke 15, there's a story about two brothers and a dad. And one brother goes to his father and takes everything he has and runs off and wastes it on loose living. The other brother stays and does exactly what the dad told him to do. He always obeys, always does it right. And at the end of the story, we see the older brother say, I've always done everything you told me to do, and I never got a party with my friends. I think there's a false story out there that says, if we do it right, if we just do it right, then we're going to get the life that we want. Notice that the older brother doesn't say, I've always done everything you wanted, and I never got a party with you. He says, I never got a party with my friends. I think we think that if we just do it right and obey the right things and check the right boxes, we'll get the life we want. And the reality is God has made no promises to fulfill our American dream. He's made no promises to fulfill that. The third false story that's out there is this. If I become a Christian, I'll never struggle with sin again. If I become a Christian, I'll never struggle with sin again. And we hear this really great news that, that God, by His grace, will forgive us of our sin and take away our shame and give us power over sin. And we, we hear that good news. And then we hear stories of transformation where this guy was like OD'd on everything, prayed a prayer, and all of a sudden never wanted anything ever again for the rest of his life. And man, bless God for that man's story, but that's not everybody's story. And so we hear, if I become a Christian, I'll never struggle with, again, with sin ever again. But the reality is, for many of us, we embrace Jesus. And we're made new, and our sin is paid for, and we have this new hope because of Jesus. And yet, there is a very, very, very real and powerful struggle with sin every day. Because we hear good news and we forget hard news. And so particularly with this one, there's, there's two theological terms that we kind of need to get connected to this. One is the idea of justification. And, and justification means this, that uh, we, are made, we are forgiven of sin, we are made right with God, we are declared righteous before God. It's a one-time act, it's a, a point where the work of Jesus is applied to our life when we embrace Christ by faith and God declares us forgiven, righteous. Done. It's never going to go away. It's not up for grabs. Done. And then there's another theological term called sanctification. 
Sanctification means that we're set apart by God and we're made more and more like the image of Jesus in our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. That is a process. Justification is a point. Sanctification is a process by which over time we're made more and more like Jesus. And it's not this. And it's not even this. It's more like this. Being made more like Jesus. And if we don't get this idea that it's a progressive, this progressive component to our sanctification, we'll either think the Christian narrative didn't work for me, or we'll think that something's wrong with us, and we'll give up. When we hear good parts and miss hard parts, we believe false stories. And we're hardwired for this. I mean, think about the things we read, watch, and experience in stories. Movies or stories, they always end way too early. God gets the girl happily ever after. We don't see them six months from now arguing over toilet paper. You don't see that in a movie, right? And so if we don't understand that life doesn't go always the way we hope it does, and that sometimes life gets worse before it gets better, we'll end up believing false stories. And just like the people of Israel, where they're tempted to think about a quick fix and hear only what we want to hear of God's purposes and ways, and then things get hard and we want to bail out. And the problem for us is not so much that God doesn't deliver what he promises, but that we assume he promises what we want delivered. But what happens to Moses is even more Uh, disconcerting. Moses is the leader. Moses had talked to a burning bush that wasn't consumed. Moses had a staff that he was carrying that had turned into a snake. And when things get hard, Moses, the leader who's supposed to be casting vision, reminding people of the gospel of God's deliverance, folds. And so God in his kindness has to remind Moses, look at verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Moses, this is what I'm about to do. Now you're going to see. And then look how good God is. He reminds Moses of his character and his covenant promise. Look at verse two. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. Remember my name, Moses. Know my name, Moses. I'm Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you will know that I'm the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. Moses, remember, this is who I am. This is what I've promised. 
I will fulfill what I promised to you, Moses. Why would God take time to do this? Because when things get hard, we need to know his name. We need to know his character and his covenant promise. So Moses goes to the people. Look at verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. In other words, he said all that to them. And this is so sad. Look at verse 9. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Broken spirit deals with what's going on inside them. I I think it gets back to misunderstanding God's promise. These people have been enslaved for decades. Moses comes and says, God's going to deliver us. And then it gets harder before it gets better. And so they risked to believe. They risked to trust. And now Moses is coming back with another story. No, thank you. Their broken spirit. In their harsh slavery. This is talking about their lives outside of them. Things are hard all around them. And so all this talk about God's deliverance and God fulfilling promises. No, thanks. I can't hear that because things are crazy inside and outside. And maybe maybe that's you today. Maybe stuff's going on in here that just makes it really hard to believe anything that's true. And maybe it really does feel like um, that the song we sang at the beginning of our gathering, How Firm a Foundation, it really feels like that all hell is endeavoring to shake your soul. And so when you hear God's word, it's like, man, there's no way any of that can be true. Or maybe life's just going on around you and it's just hard. And you can't hear. People won't listen because they're broken spirit and harsh slavery. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel do not listen to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, we have no idea what God said in verse 13. You know, we don't know why Moses didn't record that in the book of Exodus. But it was enough for Moses to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So how do we apply all this into our life? I think first, when life doesn't go according to our plan, we're prone to forget what we desperately need to remember. When life doesn't go according to our plan, we are prone to forget what we desperately need to remember. It's the fifth night in a row with a a child that won't sleep. You lose your job. You find out your wife has cancer. Your child gets diagnosed with some sort of challenging, life-altering reality. Tragedy strikes your life. And when this happens, we're prone to forget what we desperately need to remember. It happened to Moses. Things aren't going the way he thought. They're not going even, they're not even going better. And in the midst of it, he forgets God's name. He forgets God's character. And he forgot what he needed to remember. It happened to the people of Israel. 
They forgot what they needed to remember. And it happens to us all the time. So our prayer for our church is that we would know God's name. Again, none of us are in danger of leaving here and forgetting that the word G-O-D corresponds to God. None of us are in danger of that. But all of us are in danger of forgetting his character, forgetting what he's like. And when things don't go according to our plan, we desperately need to remember his name. Because things are going to get hard. They're going to be hard. And when they're hard, we need to remember his name. We need to remember his character. We need to remember his covenant promise. We need to remember. So our prayer is that we would know his name. Proverbs 18.10, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. When things are going crazy all around us, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We can run in and we can be safe. And so regardless of what's going on in your world today, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of hope. We can run in and be safe. So do you know God's name today? Do you know his character? Do you know him? The second thing is a a question, not a statement. It's a question. With everything done to you and all that's going on around you, will you trust God with your heart? With everything done to you and all that's going on around you, will you trust God with your heart? Our first prayer focus was that we would trust God's heart. Now I'm asking, will you trust God with yours? Moses and the people were struggling to trust God in the midst of really hard times. They believed once. Moses followed. He left the land of Midian to go to Egypt. He comes and he shares with the people. They worshiped and bowed down and believed. And then they go to talk to Pharaoh for Pharaoh to let them go. And things don't go according to plan. And so they're broken. They're in despair. And they're unable to trust. Even when God's word comes back to them, they're unable to listen. Maybe that's you today. The things done to you and the things going on around you have kept you from hearing. But I really believe God wants to do something in you today. And what I think he wants to do, I think he wants to deal gently with you. And I think what he wants to do is he wants to come into your heart that's, that's been hurt and that's afraid. And he wants to come to your heart and deal gently with you to cause your heart to fan to flame with a desire for him and his word. But if he's to do that, you've got to trust him with it. 
In Isaiah 42, Isaiah describes Jesus in this way, and it's going to be on the screen. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Do you hear that? Do you hear the gentleness of that? How, how he, he's, not, he's not going to get angry. He's not going to get up in your face. Or make it heard in the streets. Look at this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Do you see how gentle our God is? Now he's strong. He is not weak. You should not equate gentle with weak. In fact, the only reason gentle is helpful is if he's strong. He's strong. He's going to deliver them with a mighty hand. And he's gentle. And we see here that this bruised reed, he won't break. Maybe that's you. You've you've been bruised and beaten up by life. He won't break you. He'll mend you. Because he's gentle. A smoldering Faintly burning, smoldering wick, he will not quench. He doesn't snuff out. He fans to flame. Maybe you used to have a desire for God in his name. Maybe you used to want to follow Jesus. Maybe that used to be kind of part of who you are and what you're about. And maybe things done to you and things going on around you have just snuffed that out to just a smolder. God, in his gentleness, will come and fan those embers to flame again. But you've got to trust him with your heart for that to happen. Now, what, what you and I need to remember is that for him to deal gently with us, cost him dearly. For God to be gentle and to restore us cost him dearly because our deepest problem is not what's been done to us, but what's been done by us. Your deepest problem is not the pain, the sin done to you. Your deepest problem is the sin done by you. And for some of us, sin and rebellion looks like Pharaoh. No. This is my life, my resources, my stuff. You get out. I'm going to do it my way. The Bible calls that sin and rebellion. And if you declare war on God, you will lose. You will lose. For some of us, we haven't declared open war, but we just kind of live life just angry and complaining about everything God's brought into our world. Both of these are sin and rebellion. And what Jesus has done is this. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. Even when he suffered, he never complained. Even when things were hard, he never forgot God's character and promise. He died a death in our place for sin 
so that everything we've ever done could be forgiven and wiped clean and so that we could be presented before God righteous. And then he rose victorious over Satan's sin in the grave so that all who place their faith and hope in him might be made new. So that then he could come and deal gently with your heart. Your heart that's bruised and beaten up. Your heart that's faintly smoldering. And fan it back into flame again. So the question is, will you trust him with your heart? Because when we bring our broken heart to him. When we surrender our rebellious heart to him. When we bring our life that didn't turn out like we wanted to him. We find that in his grace, he takes our heart and fans it to flame for his glory. That's why we must know God's name. Way over in the Bible from the book of Exodus, we see in Acts chapter 4, Peter say this, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we need to know his name. We need to know his name. One of the things we're talking about as a family is uh, going camping later in the spring when it warms up a little bit. And I love building a fire. I love it. I don't know what it is about looking at a fire and just... And just kind of getting mesmerized by all the blues and purples. And you're not supposed to see green, but sometimes we do, depending on what we're burning. And so um, I love, I mean, I love it. And um, then the next morning, after you've had this great fire, the next morning you wake up and there's this layer of ash. Well, underneath that ash are embers. And if you'll blow the ash away and you'll put some tinder and kindling around that and blow those, those embers, those coals will start a fire. That's what God wants to do in some of your hearts today. Your heart is covered over with ash and pain and rebellion and sin and hurt and despair. And what God wants to do is move those coal, those, that ash out of the way and blow and fan the flame of your heart once again. And if that's to happen, we've got to know his name. Let's pray together.